0: started. Okay, Uh, let me share my screen. Uh, Okay, hopefully you guys see that. Okay, Uh, so we are back in the book of James and... Uh, I know we took a break in the month of August. We had a welcome Unicoi sermon and Ryan's goodbye. Um, So it's been a month since we've been back in the book of James. And so if you're here for the first time, uh, this is what we've been going through and we'll be in James for the next couple of months. And so so today we're going to talk about uh, the call to godly wisdom. Uh, But first I want to, you know, put up a poll. I want to see what you guys uh, think about a certain question. Um, So this poll is going to ask you to define a successful person. And it'll give a couple options. So um, let's see what you guys think. You guys a couple minutes, or not a couple minutes? Maybe like thirty seconds to uh, answer this question. What does it mean to have success? And it's anonymous, so it's not like I can search up. Oh. Um, David answered this way. So I won't know who answered which way, if that helps you um, answer honestly. There is no none of the above. So just pick one and uh, the most, I guess, appealing one to you. (laughs) Okay, maybe 15 or 15 more seconds or so. Okay, let's end it. Um, the results are actually pretty interesting. Let me share the results with you guys. Uh, so, 21 of you guys said, accepting to a good college is the most important thing. And I'm actually surprised that uh, 16 of you guys said being street smart and being able to fend for yourself. Um, not exactly sure what that means. I just threw it out there, but uh, kind of curious. No one said put make the varsity team. I guess there's no sports nowadays. Some of you guys put position on leadership team, boyfriend, girlfriend, having a lot of friends, uh, That got, got a lot of votes and straight A's. But I guess straight A's lead to a good college. Um, Okay, now I'm gonna share another vote and this is gonna seem unrelated, but it's actually gonna relate. So uh, I will explain it later uh, afterwards. So here's my second poll. I'm gonna ask you guys, to to what degree do you have peace in your life? All right, so one is there's conflict everywhere and all the time. And number five is I've got peace like a river. I've got no conflicts, and if I do, I just work through it. And then three is like, eh, it's okay. There's some stuff here, but, you know, things are okay in the end. Um, so answer what you want, uh, what most describes you. Kind of curious as to what you guys come up with. And also, it's on anonymous, so it's not like I know who's answering what. I'll give 10 more seconds. Okay, I will end this polling, uh, share results. So it looks like most of us are just uh, number three, three out of five. We're doing okay. Small arguments here and there, but overall, you know, things are okay. Um, And it looks like that's the most common. um, I guess a state of mind or state of, of your life that we're in. Um, okay. So let me stop sharing this results. Hopefully you get an idea of where we're all at. Um, now I asked you two very different questions. What would, how would you define a successful person? And do you feel you have peace in your life? You know, at first, maybe it seems like these polls seem unrelated, but actually the Bible connects these two. Now, when I say successful, The Bible has a different word for uh, success or maybe a better word is intelligence. The Bible uses the word wisdom to talk about uh, intelligence. Um, Or not not specifically intelligence, but it prizes or treasures wisdom over just knowing uh, head knowledge or facts. And wisdom is more superior than uh, being book smart. And so it is through godly wisdom that you can experience peace in your life. And that's the connection. If you want peace in your life, the way to get there is through wisdom, godly wisdom, not just being intelligent or being book smart. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today, as well as next week. Today, we're going to focus a little bit more on wisdom. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about arguments and um, conflict, because that's exactly what James uh, talks about. Today, we're going to focus a little bit about wisdom. Um, And so here's my sermon preview for today. Number one is the call to wisdom. Uh, Are you a wise person? We're going to answer that. Uh, And then we're going to compare worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And we're going to answer three questions um, about these uh, two things. And the first one is, where does it come from? Where does worldly wisdom come from? Where does godly wisdom come from? Second, what does it look like uh, in everyday life? And third, what does it lead to? If I commit my life to worldly wisdom, what does that lead to? If I commit my life to godly wisdom, what does that lead to? Uh, So we're going to jump into that. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 3. Turn to James chapter 3. I'll give you a moment to turn there. James chapter 3. And I will have verses on the slides, but it's always good to have a paper Bible so you can just see it a little differently in, in your own hands. we um, will be in James chapter 3, verse 13. Okay, looks like, uh, hopefully you guys are here by now, but... Uh, the call to wisdom, are you a wise person? Let me read verses 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Okay, I saw the verse up there. So James begins with a call to wisdom to his listeners. And he, he asks you and I the same thing. Is anyone here wise or understanding? And this is something we should think about. For our own lives? Would you consider yourself a wise person? Now, in the ancient world, the Greeks, they viewed wisdom as intellectual ability, or maybe a skill, or maybe the knowledge of divine secrets. And they didn't really care too much about uh, living a moral life that's honoring to God. Uh, So that's what the Greeks or the ancients thought. And, you know, it could kind of relate to today because maybe it's the person who they get straight A's, they're part of an IB program, maybe they're club president but they cheated their way to get to the top. Yeah, they are smart and talented, but they didn't have a lot of regard for ethics or morals. And this would really relate to the Greek life or a Greek understanding of uh, wisdom or smarts. They may be smart, but they're also corrupt. And we see this a lot in today's day and age. And uh, isn't it interesting? Look at uh, the second part of this verse. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Isn't it interesting that James doesn't say, he doesn't ask us, uh, here's how you have wisdom by asking how long you've been going to church. He doesn't ask, are you consistent in Friday nights and Sundays? He doesn't ask, can you rattle off Bible verses off the top of your head? He doesn't ask, can you articulate the gospel? Now, these things are super important and it's good for you guys to know these things, but James defines wisdom as good works done in humility. In other words, Wisdom is not intellectual. Wisdom is behavioral. Wisdom is found in the way you live out your life. Okay, so it's not intellectual. Remember, in previous weeks, even demons know the gospel. Even demons believe in God, but it's behavioral. Demons do not worship God, and we have a choice to worship God or not. So wisdom is much more than the knowledge in your head, uh, but it's shown in the way that you live your life. James says, you want to know that you're wise and understanding? Well, prove it by the way you live your life. Prove it by the wisdom and the humility that you do these things. And so uh, a wise person is proven by their good works done in humility. So I want to focus on that first underline, good works. Now, James talks a lot about good works, and I want to emphasize 100% that good works do not save you. Good works do not secure your faith before God. You're not a Christian because you go to church, okay? Uh, You're not a Christian because you can recite the books of the Bible. You are a Christian because you placed your faith in Christ. Faith alone saves you. However, just as we've been learning in James, good works are the result or the aftermath of a genuine faith in Christ. So if you become a Christian your faith should lead you to a life of good works for Jesus. And that's why wisdom is defined by the way we live our lives, not just the knowledge in our heads. I think if I were to sit down with each of you and ask, uh, do you know Jesus Jesus loves you? You'd probably say, yeah, I, I know Jesus loves me. Uh, and if, if I were to ask you, do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Maybe most of you might say yes. Uh, and if, if I were to ask you, do you think it's okay to sin? You'd probably say, probably not. And so, The majority of people in this room would agree with these fundamental Christian truths. But if I were to ask you, are you trying to live out the Christian life in a way that changes your words, changes your thoughts, and changes your actions? Now, that's a different question. I'm not sure if every person in this room can honestly say they are living out the Christian life with everything that they are. So wisdom, it's not just the words or facts in our head. It's the good works. It's the way we live out our lives for God. We're spending hours on Netflix, but seconds praying to God as we're falling asleep. Is this a life lived for God? If we spend hours on social media, but moments reading the Bible, is this really a life lived for God? If we play hours, uh, spend hours playing video games, but only minutes worshiping God, is this a life lived for God? This is not wisdom at work, but it's foolishness, okay? So that is the first uh, underlying point, good works. But I also want to focus on humility uh, or meekness. Now, humility, it's not having a low view of yourself, okay? To be a humble person, to be a meek person, it doesn't mean to have a low self-esteem. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm such a bad person. I'm I'm so stupid. I have no skills. Uh, How could anybody ever care about me? Actually, that could be more self-pity, and that could actually be inherently selfish. No, that's not what humility is, but humility, it's, it's this humbleness that comes from recognizing your unworthiness before a holy and perfect God. Humble, humble, or Humility is this humbleness that comes from recognizing your unworthiness before a holy and perfect God. When we remember that we are sinners that rightfully deserve the wrath of God, we're not going to look down on our fellow brothers or sisters. We will have mercy on them because Jesus, God had mercy on us. Uh, Back then, the Greeks, they also did not value humility or meekness. They actually thought it was weak. They thought in order to be, you don't need that, that you have to be a strong person. You have to be a confident person. You had to crush the competition. You had to take charge and show no mercy against your enemies. And I think that kind of is probably the same nowadays. If you look at sports and the way competitors treat one another, there's not a lot of humility. There's a lot of boasting. There's a lot of arrogance. There's a lot of uh, trash talking. And this is the same as it was back then for the ancient Greeks. So wisdom comes in doing good works in a spirit of humility. So does, does this characterize your life? Are you living a life characterized by wisdom. Are you a wise person? Okay, so that is the call to wisdom. Are you a wise person? And that was just a preview of what godly wisdom looks like. And now we're going to jump into uh, spend the majority of our sermon unpacking worldly wisdom, and then unpacking godly wisdom. Where does it come from? What does it look like? And where does it lead to? Okay, so let's unpack worldly wisdom first. Um, so let me now read verses 14 to 16 in James chapter three. If you're just entering this room right now, we are in James chapter three verses 14 to 16. Let me read that right now. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from, comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Okay, so that's the verse right here. I have it for you guys if you guys don't have a paper Bible, whatever reason. Um, So let's ask the first question. Where does worldly wisdom come from? I want you guys to look at verse 15, which is, I guess, in the middle of the verse. It says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. And so by default, it's coming from below. And it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is where worldly wisdom comes from. First, it's earthly. And so earth is contrasting with heaven. So earthly, it's not always a negative term. But when you're referring to behavior, that is when it's used in a negative term and contrary to God's will. Worldly wisdom is earthly. It's also unspiritual, so it opposes the spirit of God, and it's also demonic, Um, and so this might indicate that it's demonic in its nature or origin. Now, it doesn't mean that if you are living by worldly wisdom, like if you cheat on a test, it's not saying that you're possessed by a demon. That's a little uh, exaggerated, but he is saying that our selfish human wisdom and desires, it can serve satanic goals and interests instead of God's call uh, for your life. I hope this makes sense. For instance, you know that the devil hates the church. You know that the devil hates when Christians gather in fellowship and are strengthened together. So let's say you stop showing up to church. Maybe you have too much schoolwork. Maybe things are busy. Maybe you don't have enough time. But deep down, you know that it's it's an excuse. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. Don't misinterpret me. But I am saying that we are being influenced and impacted by demons and Satan because they rejoice when people stop going to church. Demons and Satan, they do rejoice when we give up committing our lives to God and you are cooperating with an evil agenda. I have to be real with you guys. There is a spiritual battle between good and evil. Not going to church, not reading your Bible, it's simply not just forgetting to do it. It's not as simple as that, but we are serving the agenda of the enemy. And in that way, Worldly wisdom is demonic, okay? So what does worldly wisdom look like? Look at verse 14, and it says it right there. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. So how do you know if you're following or being impacted or influenced by worldly wisdom? Well, it's being characterized by bitter jealousy selfish ambition says right here in verse 14 now jealousy it's not always a bad character trait let me explain god is described as a jealous god but god is allowed to be jealous because god uh, is desiring something that he deserves god deserves our worship and so it is right for him to be jealous and demand that mankind worship him alone and reject all other idols now, this sounds selfish at first, or maybe God's a little clingy, but imagine if a husband and a wife were together, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend were together. This aspect of jealousy, so to speak, would make sense. The husband should not love anybody else but the wife. The wife should not love anybody else but her husband. They, should, in a sense, should be jealous for their love because they should only have love for one another. In the same way for us, our first love has to be God. It's okay and right that God is jealous that our primary love is for Him. Because when we put school over God, when we put sports over God, when we put video games over God, that's when our life comes crash, uh, cr- crashing down. That's when life becomes a wreck. But what we're talking about now is bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy, it's sinful and it's negative. It's this desire to possess something that's not yours. And it leads you to have a resentful and harsh attitude towards other people. Um, and so let me ask you, do you find yourself looking down on other people? Do you find yourself jealous of what other people have? Jealous that uh, they have life, they have it better than you. Do you find yourself maybe hating other people in your mind? And so bitterness and jealousy it can sometimes, it's uh, associated with selfish ambition. That's the word in verse 14, selfish ambition. And that's another strange word. What does that mean? What does selfish ambition mean? In a basic sense, it refers to people who boasted in in themselves, people who took pride in their own abilities and put confidence in their own plans to the detriment of other people. So uh, these are people who only care about me, myself, and I. And so for the ancient Greeks, especially Aristotle, they would use this word, selfish ambition in in order to describe greedy politicians in their day. Politicians who uh, boasted about their own wisdom and qualifications, while deep down they had their own personal agenda that they wanted to accomplish. And so that's what selfish ambition looked like back then. But maybe in today's day and age, maybe it looks something different. Let's imagine uh, at your high schools or middle schools, people are running for elections in whatever clubs you guys are Uh, running for. Maybe it's uh, a club or a leadership position. And someone running for that position, they uh, market themselves as fun, as hardworking, honest, creative, and caring. And they have this really awesome image uh, from the outside. But deep, deep down, they have this personal agenda to simply be popular or to put something on their college resume. They don't really want to care for their students. They just want something to put to impress colleges. This is selfish ambition. And when they see other people run for that same position, maybe they experience this bitter jealousy. Maybe they begin to do things to tear down or sabotage the competition. So we see that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it's alive and well, even for us in today's day and age. And so James says that if this characterizes you, he says, do not boast and be false to the truth end of verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. In other words, James is saying, don't kid yourselves. How can you say that you've experienced God's love while you spew bitterness and envy to those around you? How can you say that you're growing in knowledge of God if you continue to resent and hate the people around you? This is not true wisdom. This paints a very horrific picture of wisdom. But we also have to ask ourselves, where does worldly wisdom lead to? Okay, Uh, look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. In other words, it leads to disorder. Disorder, another word for that is unstable or restless. People who pursue their own selfish concerns and their personal agendas, when this happens, chaos will ensue. This leads to every vile practice, and there is no way for uh, peace or unity to be found. I think I shared this in the past, but I was somebody who struggled and sometimes still struggle with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I had a friend when I was in uh, late college that I hated, uh, he was actually my best friend, but for some reason, uh, I actually lived with him for a summer because my house was being remodeled, and I had to room with him, and I just saw how lazy he was. Um, I saw how um, he just sat on his bed with his laptop and just, I don't know, watch videos all day, and we lived, uh, his house was so close to church, so we would, during the summer, we'd walk to church and uh, help out with VBS and make crafts, but he'd always be, um, on the couch in the corner, just on his phone scrolling. And every time I saw him, it just made me mad. And I held this bitter jealousy uh, towards him. And our friend group became awkward because people began to notice that my facial expression would change every time he came around. And they began to take sides. And so uh, they took my, some people took my side, some people, well, I don't think a lot of people took his side, which I really felt bad about afterwards because I think he really felt isolated he really felt like the whole friend group turned on him um and i think this lasted for about a year something like that and if i'm gonna be honest it was kind of enjoyable to to hate on him it was enjoyable to see him being trashed by um like my friend group it it felt like i was on the winning side and he was on the losing side and even though it felt good right now there's something very twisted about that uh that it was fun to hate I found joy in hating uh, that friend. Um, and I think it was through a lot of humbling times with God where uh, that was resolved. Um, I, that summer, I was going off to serve at a summer camp. And um, more than usual, I felt God was pressing it upon my heart uh, to make things right with this friend before I went off for a couple months to... Um, serve at a summer camp and I remember just being on uh, just struggling so much in prayer like I was wrestling with God like God I don't want to talk to my friend like he's wrong like I don't want to apologize to him but I think God humbled me and wrecked me to a point he basically asked how can you go to the summer camp and share the gospel to these high school students and junior high students yet you're at home right now with your best friend and you can't even make things right with your best friend. And that just humbled me right then and there. And it it was, there was nothing easy about that. And um, I I ended up apologizing and asking for his forgiveness um, one time when we were eating in a group and I was so awkward. I had no idea what I was saying. I probably uh, was just stuttering, but um, I felt peace in my soul afterwards. I felt I can move on and go to that summer camp with a clear conscience because I made things right. Uh, Because before that, there was disorder in our friend group. There was chaos. And uh, this uh, jealousy and selfish ambition really uh, tore our friend group apart. So it was God's grace that uh, redeemed uh, that friendship. Um, And so I share that um, to let you guys know that this is alive and well today. Um, And something else about ambition is it also relates to envy, uh, which is another word for jealousy. Um, I want to share a quote from this guy named Tim Challies. He blogs a lot, but he had a really good insight about how envy and selfish ambition um, interact with one another. Uh, Let me show it on this next slide. He says this by Tim Challies. And here we see another ugly element of envy. It tends to alienate us from people who are much like us people who ought to be our allies. A musician rarely envies an author and a pastor rarely envies a historian. Instead, we envy people who have similar interests, similar gifts, similar callings, the very people with whom we could and should co-labor with. But envy drives us apart. It makes potential allies into competitors. You remember the uh, example I gave earlier about two people in high school running for the same position? It's exactly what uh, it's talking about. Um, we're not insecure about people in different, I guess, life stages than us. Sometimes we're insecure or envious about people who are close to us. Like in high school, I was not jealous of soccer players. I'm not saying soccer is a bad sport. Uh, I just don't play it, but I played volleyball. So I didn't care if my friend was a soccer player, but let's say if a new kid transferred from another school and they're a volleyball player, all of a sudden I might begin to size him up and say, Whoa, is he better than me? Uh, he's taller than me, I think he jumps higher than me, then all of a sudden I begin to get a little insecure, Uh, I'm a little envious, and this begins to uh, mess with my heart. And so this little insight, it shows us that sometimes the people closest to us, maybe our siblings, (laughs) they cause us the most envy. Maybe it's another student in your class, maybe it's another person on your team, Uh, maybe it's another person trying out for band or for that leadership position. And so we have to be aware of where envy or jealousy or selfish ambition, ambition uh, is stirring up. So this is what um, it leads to. It leads to disorder. Okay? So this is, in a nutshell, what worldly wisdom is like. Now, what about godly wisdom? So we talked about worldly wisdom, where it comes from, what does it look like, where does it lead to, But what about godly wisdom? I think all of us, we want peace in our lives and in our relationships. How do we get that? Well, that's where godly wisdom helps us out. Okay, so uh, godly wisdom. Now let's read uh, in your Bibles, uh, James chapter three, verses 17 to 18. We'll finish with these final two verses in verses 17 and 18. Here's what it says. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. it's up here for those who don't have access to a Bible. So where does it come from? Uh, If you look in verse 17, the very first part, it says it comes from above, all right? And the, the text doesn't say heavenly, spiritual, divine, but I'm inferring that based on uh, worldly wisdom. That is the opposite of um, earthly. It's the opposite of unspiritual. It's the opposite of uh, demonic. Okay, so godly wisdom, it can only come from God. You can't get it from studying philosophy. You can't get godly wisdom from studying other religions. Godly wisdom comes from the God of Christianity alone. Okay. Now let's answer, what does it look like? Okay. And it says right here uh, in verse 17, all these different adjectives. And first, you might be thinking, well, these seem like seven random adjectives. Do they really have a flow or structure? Uh, And in fact, they do. These are not just seven random adjectives. They have a flow or a structure to them. And so I want to explain that in a little bit. Um, The first adjective here is pure. Okay. And so pure is actually the primary attribute that Um, that all the rest of the attributes flow out of, okay? So purity or pureness, this is the main overarching uh, attribute. And it has this idea of innocence or a moral blameless, that you do not walk in the way of the world, in the way of sinners, but you walk with God. You walk in the ways of the Lord. And so the rest of the attributes flow out of this, okay? And so the next three attributes are kind of grouped together, uh, it's peaceable, okay? So someone who is peaceable or peace-loving, they're concerned for the peace of community. They try at all possible to live at peace and in unity with one another, okay? So they are gentle, that's the second adjective, meaning that they're considerate or willing to yield to others. They don't always need to be right. Uh, they can accept when they're wrong. And uh, they think of, think of Jesus, that he was kind and gentle to the children in a time when children were not highly regarded okay and then the third one is open to reason uh some commentaries describe this as submissive or easily persuaded but i don't want you guys to think of someone being passive or a weak person but think of someone who's willing to defer to other people when it isn't concerned theological uh, or moral principles um for example let's say uh you and your friends Uh, Hang out, and you guys haven't hung out in a long time because of COVID. And uh, one person wants to eat cream barbecue because they've been craving it, Uh, the other person wants to eat at sushi. And you guys are very strong in your desires because you guys haven't seen each other in a while. And so you want to enjoy a good meal with uh, friends. Someone who is open to reason, instead of arguing, like, you know what? I need to go to barbecue stop. I want that beef tongue. I haven't had that in months. You will not uh, go to sushi. Well, someone who's open to reason will be willingly say, you know what? I love I love uh, cream barbecue, but that's okay. We can hang out another time. Let's let's go to sushi. Even though I'm allergic to fish, I'll just eat the rice and the teriyaki chicken. That is somebody who is open to reason and uh, they are peaceful and gentle, uh, gentle in all of this. Okay, so that's the first grouping. Uh, there's a second group, someone who is... Uh, full of mercy and good fruits. Okay, so someone who is uh, merciful, uh, they don't keep score of wrong, wrong things. They're gracious. They might be offended, but they're able to forgive and extend mercy and grace. Okay, James uses the analogy of good fruits, and I'll actually explain that uh, later because it has, uh, it'll, get, it'll be picked up later on in the verse. Um, and then the second and final group is impartial and sincere. Someone who is impartial is someone who is uh, not biased. Someone who does not play favorites. Uh, remember earlier in James, he talks about how rich people and poor people are treated um, at church. And he says that it's wrong for us to show favoritism to one another. It'd be like today if there was like a popular person uh, or a nerdy person. It is wrong to treat one better than the other. Um, and especially in today's context, uh, in the racially tense context, blacks and whites, this is very, very important to be impartial uh, and to be fair to those around us. And then uh, the adjective sincere, uh, this has the idea of being transparent. Um, so it's people who are not two-faced. They uh, they don't act nice to you on the outside, but and they're not different um, when, you guys, uh, when they turn around. It's someone who, uh, they're trustworthy. Uh, what you see is what you get. And I think we all have those friends where, you know that they're gonna be real with you, that they're sincere, and they're not gonna uh, be a two-face, so to speak. Uh, They're not gonna uh, be disloyal to you. And that's what sincerity um, is communicating. Final question is, where does this lead to? When I live my life according to godly wisdom, where does it lead to? In a word, I would say this, peace. If you live your life Surrendering to godly wisdom, this will lead to peace. Look at verse eighteen. It says, "And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." Here's another farming analogy: a harvest of righteousness. Now, James he uses the analogy of a farmer because his original audience, uh, Jews, who likely were poor and uh, were in the farming industry, they would understand this analogy, and so. Just as uh, a farmer who's planting a seed, which is seemingly small, he doesn't know the impact or how big that fruit or that seed will grow until the harvest when they see the trees bearing fruits. So likewise, when you strive for wisdom and for peace, maybe it's the small actions of uh, forgiving one another, praying for your enemies, being gentle with one another and open to reason. Maybe it feels like it doesn't make a big difference, but slowly and surely, It will change the atmosphere. It will bear fruits of peace, and it will change environments you're a part of. Your life will produce a harvest of righteousness, which is really to say your life will have evidence of peace and conduct that is pleasing to God. This is the power of wisdom. If you have a lot of conflict or uh, just arguing or fights in your life, wisdom is the way To live at peace. It'll bring peace to your friendships and community. It it leads us to bear fruit of righteousness. Because when you are when you're wise, you will live rightly. When you live righteously, you will not allow envy or bitterness to stir up in your heart. When you live righteously, you will be gentle and not resentful towards others. When you live righteously, you'll be open to reason and not stubborn to have your own way. When you live righteously, you'll be full of mercy eager to show forgiveness. When you live righteously, you'll be impartial and sincere, not taking sides, but truly being fair and genuine. This is the power of godly wisdom. And this is godly wisdom in a nutshell. My next slide, I wanna answer one big question that we haven't really addressed this whole time, but it's crucial in any sermon, any Christian sermon. But here's the question. How does Jesus fit into all this? If I preach a sermon without talking about Jesus, is it really a Christian sermon or is it just a sermon telling you what to do and what, what not to do, which is just really moralistic? You know, we talked a lot about earthly wisdom, like envy, bitterness, jealousy, and we talked a lot about godly wisdom. Now, envy, jealousy, it's really wanting what other people want, isn't it? When your friend has a phone, but you don't have a phone. When your friend lives in a nicer house and you don't live in a nice house. When your friend got into a good college, but you didn't get into a good college. When people succeed, sometimes we feel inferior. And when these people fail, sometimes we feel happy. But you know at the root of this, this is an identity that is tied to our achievements, successes, and failures. Deep down, we don't want people to outperform us. We don't want people to do better than us because we're insecure at the end of the day. So what is the cure to envy? The cure to jealousy, the cure to selfish ambition. The cure to envy is to find your contentment in Christ. Let me say that again. The cure to envy is to find your contentment in Christ. To be content, it's to be at peace. To be at peace, not because of your circumstances, not because you got good grades, but to be at peace because your life is tied to something that is unchanging, which is Jesus. You are not defined by your success at school, your grade on your math test, or, uh, or your friends. You're defined by your identity in Christ. Once you were dead in sin, but now you're alive in Christ. This is a solid foundation from which you can build your identity. Your GPA, your college acceptance letters, your video game score, how many friends you have, these are unstable foundations to build your life on. This is sinking sand. But to build your life on Christ, that is solid ground. If you are alive in Christ, you recognize that you're once a sinner, but now you're saved in Christ. That because 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for you and me, and that we are spared the wrath of God, All Jesus experienced the wrath of God. Why? So that we could all be forgiven, so that we could be justified and adopted and be called sons and daughters of the Most High King. This is your identity. What would happen, just think for a moment, what would happen if you stopped defining yourself by your grade? What would happen if you stopped defining yourself by your earthly success You began to define yourself as a child of God. You would be the most secure person in the world. You would not be threatened by the success of other people. You can be at peace because we can say, like Paul, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. In other words, he can be content in all things. Not that he can jump over the moon or win, an NBA championship or gains to Harvard, but that he can be content in that peace in all things. This is the power and the privilege of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior as it leads us to wisdom. So here's my big idea for today. Knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior leads us to a life of true wisdom and peace. Knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior leads us to a life of true wisdom and peace. If you're not a Christian, I beg you, examine your life. One day, each and every one of us will have to stand before God and give account for our life. We have to face the music. We have, someone has to pay for our sins. It's either us, which is just. Or it's either Jesus, which is grace. Who's it going to be? This leads us to wisdom. Okay, so to close, I just have three applications and then we'll dismiss into small groups. First, I want you guys to think and observe the world around you. What wisdom, worldly or godly, is more prevalent? Think about the lack of peace or the lack of wisdom in America with the racial tensions. Think about the political parties Think about your own home with your families. Think about all the conversations about church reopening. Think about even yourself. Do you have past mistakes that haunt you, which steal your peace? So think about what wisdom is prevalent around us. How is it impacting my peace? And then I want you to ask yourself, what wisdom are you following? Are you following the wisdom of the world or are you following the wisdom of God? This will have drastic effects on your life. And finally, I want you to imagine for a moment, if you pursued godly wisdom, how would this change your life? Imagine a life where peace was present in your relationships. I'm not saying you'll never experience conflict. In fact, Jesus promises that all Christians will endure suffering. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter matter of when. But the key is, if you are anchored in Christ, you can go through these trials um, anchored in peace, experiencing peace because your identity in Christ. Wouldn't you want a life like this? Wouldn't you want a life of peace? The whole world could be crashing around us, and in some ways it is, but you'd still have peace. Don't you want this type of life? May God empower us to live and strive after godly wisdom, setting aside jealousy and personal agendas and embracing purity, peace, and gentleness. May God invade our hearts and heal relationships and save our souls. Let me pray for us right now. Lord, I pray that you will um, show us the way of godly wisdom Show us what it means to be pure, peaceable, open to reason, gentle. Lord, we want a life of peace, and we believe it's possible even in suffering. We would much rather have that infinitely over a life of worldly wisdom where we have the good grades, but our life is in shambles. We would rather suffer in this world but be safe in your hands than to have success in this world but to not be yours and to not be called your ch- child. Lord, open, your, open our hearts to the truth of the gospel and the wisdom that we can walk under. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so now we're going to small groups. You guys are afraid to be dismissed if you know where you're going. If not, stick around and we'll help you get to the right place, uh, Kevin. <laughs>